0: Hey Katie Hi Ben So I have I, so I, I don't have a pun today, but I have been thinking uh, I know I know a little bit about a lot of different areas in data science because they do this podcast with you, but I don't actually I've never actually done any data science machine learning, any of that stuff. Mm-hmm. What's the process like for going from where I am, which in my case I'm a software engineer to becoming a data scientist or a uh, someone who uh, deals with machine learning?
1: That is a good question, and I am the wrong person to ask from the perspective of I'm not a software engineer, and so could only show you my half of the story. And not, You're a like, physicist, right? Both- <laughs> yeah, even worse. <laughs> However, <laughs> I brought a friend named Walt, and he is a software engineer turned data scientist, and he's a lovely person, and we're going to talk about this together.
2: That's awesome. How coincidental <laughs> that he'd be in the room. Well, I don't know about being a lovely person, but it is, at the very <laughs> least, a wonderful coincidence that I just happen to be here.
0: You are listening to Linear Digressions.
1: Yeah, so Walt is one of my uh, colleagues at Civis Analytics, um, and we work on a team together. We're called the Data Science Research and Development Team, so these are a bunch of uh, we got some physicists, we got some computer scientists, we got one or two wayward economists. Uh, and Walt is a little bit of a, a little bit different from the rest of the team in the sense that he actually used to be in the engineering department at Civis and then uh, maybe a year ago or something uh, transferred over to the data science department. And so that is kind of his background is a little bit more in software engineering and we have all, benefited greatly from uh, the software engineering best practices that he has brought to us. And I think that that's actually an interesting thing that we should try to cover today as well, is not just what was that transition like, but what are some of the things that he brought with him uh, when he came to our department. But I'm getting ahead of myself slightly. Um, Maybe a place to start, Walt. I'm actually genuinely curious about this. I don't know the answer. When you came to Civis, which is a data science company, as an engineer did you know that you wanted to do data science or was it something that you got into once you arrived?
2: Oh it was very much a purposeful thing for me although I didn't know at the time that like if I had been a little savvier I would have known that the correct business term was this thing called data science and I would have been you know I'm not very good at computers. I still use like Craigslist and things to find jobs. So I would have been like putting data scientists into the Craigslist and stuff. (laughs) Um, It was very much a thing I had been interested in for a while, like going back to time when I was in undergrad, but just a thing I did not really have the market savvy to understand that this is actually the thing that I wanted to do.
1: And so you kind of, you get to Civis you're, you know you're interested in like solving problems with data and computers and stuff. Um, you're in the engineering department, and then what? walk me through a little bit the process whereby you kind of look around and say like, hey, this data science thing is kind of neat. Um, not just getting the idea that you could maybe make the transition, but like, what are some of the concrete steps that you found yourself taking that you think were like helpful to making that transition?
2: I feel like a lot of it was just I put a lot of effort into talking to the people around me doing this crazy thing called the data science and spending a lot of time talking to people. And so, you know, my role as a software engineer was to support the data scientists and to, you know, try to help and enable data scientists to do the crazy things they are doing which naturally involved a lot of talking to them and trying to figure out what's working well what's not and learning more about how they work and then kind of thinking like oh this is this is a this is an interesting way to be thinking about problems and going about problems and I don't think it's super different from the way my own mind works and I feel like I just kind of started getting along with the people I was talking to and eventually realized that making that transition was not like the craziest thing I had ever suggested.
1: And so for you, the thing that you were working on before, if I recall correctly, was like a lot of the infrastructure that the data scientists use here. So some of our like scalable computing backend and Mm -hmm. uh, some of our, um, some of the algorithms that we use for particular parts of our workflows. And so data scientists were kind of your, the users of the stuff that you were Building in a sense, so you had a really good excuse for coming to coming to talk to us. Was now that you've kind of uh, made the made the leap, so to speak, is data science what they said it was? I'm really <laughs> curious.
2: Oh, <laughs> uh, so I guess my introduction to data science was doing. When I was in college I was getting a degree in comparative literature, which is, you know, very important to my current school set, obviously.
1: Yeah, that's good <laughs> for your career. Oh yes,
2: that's <laughs> hugely helpful. No, I, I sometimes joke with my comparative literature friends that I'm the only one of us who actually gets paid to write for a living.
1: I had an English minor, so you're not and uh, I did one not of know one that. of our mutual friends was a poetry major, like creative writing major.
2: I think that's a lot of the reason why the two of us get along. (laughs) I was uh, theater arts, for what it's worth.
1: Oh, no kidding. I didn't know that.
2: I did not know I was among such friends here. So many artists (laughs) in
1: this room. Um, Okay, so you have have a... What was it? Comparative literature? Comparative literature. Uh Uh-huh.
2: And was trying to figure out what that had to do with computer science and ended up doing some research with a professor who was working in natural language processing and this was this would have been like circa 2008 2009 2007 and i don't remember at any point anyone ever referring to themselves ever as a data scientist or this thing we were doing as data science
1: no i don't remember that term until probably 2011 or 2012 or something
0: um yeah it seems like a really new field uh Speaking of is data science what you thought it was, uh, I'm curious to get your input on what what do you think software engineers generally think of data scientists and vice versa? I, I know from my perspective, before I started doing this podcast, I just kind of looked at people like Katie as magicians, like <laughs> somehow, somehow you uh, get stuff out of data. And, you know, I, I don't know how to do that thing. That's very black boxy.
2: No, I think the magician analogy is something I definitely have like that. That was definitely my impression (laughs) as well. So the last job I worked at, we were we were doing natural language generation. And so it was, you know. Part of this is taking in some data, and part, and then turning that data into try to produce a story that someone would want to read. And the reason they would want to read it is because part of it is is it written well. The other is like, does it have something interesting to say? Mm-hmm. And the interesting to say part came from the data. And so we heard these rumors about how one day one day we would be hiring a data scientist and they would be working among us. And we were super confused who this person was and we were trying to write software for this person that we didn't know quite who they were. They were like, will they be able to program? I'm not sure. Maybe not. They probably want like a drag and drop GUI. Let's build a drag and drop GUI <laughs> for this data scientist who will one day be among us. And so the our expectation was a person who can come in and take the data and produce something interesting that then we could write about in an automated fashion. But it was, it was troubling in like several respects, like software is hard to write if you don't know who your user is. You just kind of like fundamentally there, but it was also just like, yeah. In between us and the story is a person called a data scientist and magic. Uh, Katie, I've got to ask the same question to you
0: looking at software engineers. And actually, Mm -hmm. I guess I could ask that of you, Walt, too, now that you've made uh, that transition.
1: So what what are the things that I think of software engineers? Um,
0: Peons. (laughs) Oh, stop.
1: (laughs) Well, so I I think there, yeah, there's a magic element in the other direction. Uh, So some data scientists are really close to the metal in terms of, um, Still, one of the things that like Walt is super good at that I don't know very much about is say Docker container orchestration in Amazon web services. And there's like six things in that phrase that kind of scare me and that, that feel like black magic. Um, and I'm sure that like he sees it as like, you know, maybe not that big of a deal, but you know, it's like, there's, there's that, uh, familiarity breeds contempt. I'm, I'm not familiar with a lot of the stuff that, engineers know about, and so they can just do things that feel kind of magical to me sometimes, even now. I have a, a little bit more of an idea of like what all they do, so the, the magic is not quite as much as it was a few years ago, but there's still a, an element of that. I think the other thing is that software engineers, they're pushing production code, at least within civis uh, which is the place where we work, they push production code in kind of a different way than the data scientists do, because the data scientists are trying to figure out how to solve a problem. And so there's kind of a lot of hacking. Uh, and once we know what we want to do, sometimes we'll clean up the code and we'll, we'll write the tests, we'll do the documentation. But um, I think that working with the software engineers here has been very educational for me in terms of like having a procedure around the way that I write code. So I'm way better at stuff like testing and dock strings and linting. And these are things that engineers, they live and, and breathe this stuff. But for a data scientist, especially a data scientist coming from physics, because like physics is not, you know, we did not have particularly strong like code control practices Uh <laughs> on you know on the parts of the LHC where I was like doing my work. So these were things that software engineers are pretty good at and data scientists like can learn, but I don't think uh, are born knowing this stuff.
2: So this was a thing I noticed as well, but for me, it was generally a positive experience. I felt like I bumped into bunches of data scientists who didn't know and breathe and feel these things innately And But when I started talking to them, it was really just an ignorance thing, not a lack of interest thing. And as soon as I started talking about, like, hey, there's this thing called tests, like people seemed really hungry for that knowledge and really excited to learn that, like, oh my gosh, you can state invariants about your code. This is Mm -hmm. fantastic. Mm -hmm. And they were really into it once we started talking about it.
1: Yeah, and we should actually, I think we're going to just have another episode with Walt on where we'll talk about some of this stuff. Because, yeah, I, I know a lot of our audience is data scientists who maybe work in in a vacuum with respect to some of this stuff. So hearing about why you would test your code, I don't know. I remember Walt teaching it to me, and it kind of blew my mind.
0: And actually, I want to I want to back that up. Um, if you are... If you're listening and you're a software developer, but you're maybe a little bit earlier on in, in your career or you're just learning this stuff, uh, I know a lot of our listeners are. Um, even in that case, things like testing can be scary. You know, I actually went an embarrassingly long time in my career as a developer who people assumed I knew what I was talking about and I, I didn't, I didn't um, actually do any test-driven development or anything like that. Uh, even though these are, are definitely best practices, uh, so some of the stuff can be just difficult to learn, not because it's actually difficult, but just because if you don't already know it, it's it's hard to pick it up because there's a there's a resistance there. Learning is hard. That's that's actually one thing that I learned the most when I was working uh, with UKD at Udacity is that uh, teaching is hard. Learning is even harder. It's really hard to pick up a new thing because there's, uh, there's a scariness with it.
1: Yeah, I think I'll agree with that. I had another question for Walt. What does your boss expect of you when you're a software engineer? And what do they expect of you when you're a data scientist? Like, What are the incentive structures for each of these different roles from, it, from your view, having, having experienced both of them?
2: I feel like the expectation of data scientist manager is that they can be more hands off than I'm used to and just kind of expect to leave me alone and come back in a week or two and without a whole lot of correction or input something something interesting or informative will have happened I feel like the management i had more in the software engineering role and this may be in part a product of where i've worked was more hey we handed you this scope document that said at the end of this week you will have built this and then at the end of the week they wanted to know did you build that thing that you said you could build in a week Um, a bit more constrained a bit more directed a bit more focused on building the spec or building this feature versus kind of. Just venture out into the green field and come back with something lovely. And
1: that, and that's one of the things that we were sort of talking about before we were recording this episode is the idea that, you know, there's a reason why data scientist managers don't usually say this is exactly how your research should should turn out or how your analysis should go. It's because like usually you don't know what the answer is uh, and. There's it's that's kind of the science part of it is not knowing until you try it if it's going to work out and This is one of the things that well Walt you can speak to this a little bit better than I can but but you were saying some like fairly interesting things about how That's a a thing that you have to get used to is that uncertainty about whether what you're doing is actually going to work
2: I guess freedom in a lot of ways is kind of terrifying Uh, so I remember When I first joined the data science department here at Civis, my manager at the time was like absurdly brilliant person. I haven't really, there aren't a whole lot of people, maybe he's the only one that I feel like. I had been sitting in a room with him and we're both thinking, we're both like supposedly doing the same thing, thinking about the same problem. But I just had this feeling like something different is happening in his brain. Like him thinking versus me thinking just like, I don't like we're using the same verb here I don't know if we should be and so he's like hey well I don't know how to do this thing can you just like go figure it out and I was like why are you even asking me (laughs) don't you already know this Um, and at first it was very much associated with this kind of like fear and I could do everything anything and you know your your palette is just a lot broader. You're, if you're doing data science things, in a lot of ways, like your the palette you have to work with is like math itself, and just and at first I remember just st- staring at this huge void of infinite possibilities and being like, oh no, this is terrifying. I don't know if I can do this. Um, but as I mentioned earlier, it did bring me back to earlier experiences of having done. Uh, research as an undergraduate in college and I was like oh I think I remember this feeling and I think it doesn't always end in disaster I think we can do this (laughs) (laughs) and at this point it's just I feel a bit more used to that feeling and it's not so much fear well it's still a little fear but it's at least a familiar fear
1: yeah you get used to the idea that uh success is only like having things work 70 percent of the time and that's okay Well, we're going to wrap up this episode for today now, but Walt has agreed to stick around and actually do next week's episode too. And we're going to talk about some of the software engineering uh, secret incantations that (laughs) he knows because of his uh, magical and mysterious past. Um, And I don't know, whatever, wherever else the wind takes us as well. Um, So come back next week. In the meantime, Walt, it's been a pleasure talking with you. Thank you for coming. Oh,
2: it's been lovely. Thank you.
0: Thanks so much. Linear Digressions is a creative commons endeavor, which means you can share or use it any way you like. Just tell them we said hi. To find out more about this or any other episode of Linear Digressions, go to LinearDigressions.com. And if you like this podcast, go ahead and leave us a review on iTunes so other people get to listen to this content too. You can always get in touch with either of us, Our emails are Ben at LinearDigressions.com and Katie at LinearDigressions.com in case you have comments or suggestions for future shows. You can tweet us at LinDigressions. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next time.